This is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to Episode 8 of our DebtWired series. You're about to hear Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu's conversation with Lisa Price and Ray Dombrowski. Both Lisa and Ray are Managing Directors with Alvarez and Marsal's Restructuring and Turnaround Practice. As you'll hear, Lisa's perspective is shaped by an M&A business development background in the energy, utility, and oil and gas industries, while Ray has long been entrenched in the restructuring arena as a turnaround specialist with experience in CEO and CRO roles. I think you'll really enjoy this talk, which goes over the slow pace of recent restructurings and also the risks of capital market fever leading to elevated leverage in asset-heavy sectors such as industrial, aviation, and shipping. Ray, I wanted to thank you so much for being here with us to talk about 2021. Can you provide a brief recap of last year in terms of how 2020 will shape 2021? Sure, Rashmi. Thanks very much for having us. We uh, look forward to spending time with you these next few minutes. Um, So when we take a look at 2020, really, it was quite a year. Uh, The impact of COVID, the Boeing 737 MAX challenges and the mid-year price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia were all big disruptors in the past year. Uh, They all drove substantial dislocation in the consumer and retail sector, travel and leisure, hospitality, real estate, and energy. Um, The thing that was also quite interesting was the level of government support and continued access to capital markets um, that companies had that ameliorated the impact for many of these companies doesn't mean that the industries and the companies haven't been impacted, rather more that they've been able to address their near-term challenges and find uh, funding in the face of increased capital requirements and relaxation of financial obligations so that they can actually weather the storm. Uh, Some industries have been hit hit harder than others and are undergoing structural change. Retail and commercial real estate are examples that come to mind. Others like oil and gas are likely to recover as commodity prices improve, uh, albeit with a more conservative growth funding framework going forward. COVID is going to continue to be a key driver in 2021, and retail and the travel-related industries, including equipment providers, are going to see a slow recovery. Strengthening oil and gas prices suggest a stronger recovery in the oil and gas sector after very heavy restructuring activity last year. So what we see is many companies now signaling a slow return to a new normal, suggesting it's going to be in the back half of 2021, if not 2022, before large-scale return to offices and related business travel begins to pick up. And then I think the last thing I'd say is that the impact of the presidential election in the U.S. also suggests changes in certain priorities, potentially accelerating the energy transition by increasing support for renewables and pressuring fossil and nuclear-based energy infrastructure companies. There doesn't seem to be a lot of distress, at least at the start of 2021, given um, just how hot the capital markets have been, which have been bolstered by Fed activity. So what industry should um, distressed investors look at as sort of being the hotbed of restructuring activity then? It's an interesting question because, you know, the industries that you would have expected would have gotten crushed uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, Things like travel and leisure, uh, cruise ships come to mind, uh, airlines, aviation suppliers and the like, uh, all were able to raise capital, as you've noticed, both in the debt and the equity markets. Now, 
that's led to a substantially higher leverage ratio for those entities, uh, either directly or indirectly through government support. And other industries that have had a little bit more limited access to capital, they'll probably continue to structure in 2021. But the, the key thing right now is looking at the vaccine and the vaccine rollout. Uh, and that's really gonna determine how 2021 comes. And uh, it, from a restructuring perspective, I think the other thing to watch is how the new treasury secretary tends to deal with interest rates and how quickly those are gonna rise, if at all in 2021, because the people that have increased their leverage to the extent that it is not at a fixed rate are gonna have exposure as those interest rates rise. Uh, the other area I think that to, to watch in 2021 is with the new administration that you will see the change in priorities and the acceleration of energy transition away from uh, traditional coal and uh, fossil fuels for more renewables. So you'll see stress in that area uh, most likely. And the consumer has changed, but we seem to be at least several months from returning to any sense of normalcy. How is this impacting aviation, industrials, and the supply chain? Look at airlines as an example, and they're flying at somewhere between 50 and 60% of the load that they flew last year at this time. And almost all of that flying is leisure flying, not business travel which of course is lower margin um, and, and international travel has come to almost a complete halt. So when you look at the com consumer driven impacts of COVID and the impact on the, on the industrials, what you see is somewhat of a mixed balance here. So there is some consumer travel. It's not at the levels that it used to be. Um, airlines have had to reprioritize what planes they're going to use, what flights they're going to fly, and look not only near term for what they need, but in the longer term to understand what their plane mix looks like. And so what you see is airlines are going to the airframers, who are in turn are going to their suppliers and saying, hey, we don't need as many wide body jets. We're going to need to push out our deliveries of even narrow body jets. We're going to turn over our portfolio more quickly. We're going to retire more aircraft, which is going to change the service profile for some of the suppliers. And so what you see is the suppliers are on the receiving end of the changes that have been driven by COVID. And uh, you know, that's what's put on a lot of the pressures, the debt pressures of the companies, whether it's a Boeing or an Airbus or it's, it's suppliers down downstream. And the same thing on the energy side of things. If you were to take a look at energy demand, there's lower energy demand. Most more of it is residential as compared to, to uh, commercial and industrial. Um, what you're seeing then is utilities trying to manage their cost base. They're increasingly, as Ray mentioned, looking at renewables and ma maximizing renewables in their mix. And that puts pressure on their operations in terms of how they manage their existing fleet of energy assets. And it changes the way they think about their future investment. And so what you see is the industrial suppliers are having to react to the structural changes, some near term, some permanent that are taking place in these industries. And, and I think the last thing that I'd offer would be, you know, when you take a look at the airlines and their related infrastructure companies, most are saying it's going to be 23, 24 before 
we return to 2019 levels. And what that means is the, all of these companies are going to have to carry a lot more debt and more slowly delever than, than I think people might hope uh, as they wait for a return to something that looks like a more normal situation. And that puts pressure on the companies to the extent that, is, as again, as Ray says, we see higher interest rates in the future and at a faster pace than people were expecting. And how do you compare today's pandemic crisis to the 2008 Lehman crisis? During the Great Recession, there was the lack of liquidity and the consumer retrenched. What do you see as the differences and similarities between those two periods? Well, it's, it's funny that you ask that question because it calls to mind an image uh, as when I was CRO at Kemptura right after um, Lehman had fallen. And within two days of being there with very, very limited cash, I was faced with the prospect of a supplier pulling out a rail car out of a factory uh, that was manufacturing pool chemicals that had to be delivered to, Wal to Walmart and Lowe's that spring. And we were, you know, if you know anything about those two in particular, if you fail to meet your supplies with them, they cancel you. And that was a critical part of that business. That's one story I lived personally. My partners can share others that they had um, of similar uh, instances where it was unable to get capital for businesses. Uh, this is very, very different from that end. There is a seemingly endless supply of cash the way businesses are getting refinanced either in the debt markets or indeed raising equity. The similarities though are then as now people go through their portfolios because they want to preserve cash. They have to preserve cash to survive in either instance. Today, uh, it's more for trying to deliver, have dry powder, be able to be uh, opportunistic from an M&A perspective. Then it was true survival. So the same things that were true before remain true today which are focus on profitable lines of business and be mindful of the things that are going to allow you to preserve cash. What do you see in terms of the pace of restructurings in 2021 as the capital markets appear very supportive, at least for the beginning of the year? I think it's interesting what you saw in, in the latter half of the year, and, and actually from mid-year on, to be fair, um, was a lot of restructuring in the commercial and retail sector, uh, sector and then the oil and gas sector, two industries that have had very, very high volumes uh, of restructuring. But that's sort of trailing off or moderating, I would say, in some respects. In the case of oil and gas, the commodity prices improved, and that's that's really helped quite a lot. Uh, but we've seen a very slow start to the restructuring calendar so far in 2021 uh, because capital is so plentiful, because companies have been going in and trying to restructure um, operationally, even before they, they they run into the balance sheet challenges that we're all familiar with. I was reading over the weekend that January was, was the lowest monthly number of new bankruptcy filings since February of 2006. It was 6% below December's filings, and it was 44% below January of 2020's filings, so a year ago filings. And really, that's driven by the fact that there's not very much distressed debt. 
distress leverage loans and high yield bonds um, are about have a total volume of about fifty billion dollars. In February of last year, that was about one hundred and forty billion, and in March it was five hundred and fifty billion. So right now, only about two percent of the volume of leverage loans and high yield bonds are distressed. So what does that tell you? That tells you that companies have been able to operationally and financially get out there ahead of the curve. Uh, Ray and I represented uh, an aviation supplier last year, and their focus was on how to moderate and manage their upcoming uh, maturities and their, their bank debt to enable them to continue to operationally improve their business and pivot into sectors that were less challenged by COVID so that they could weather the storm. And they just reported fourth quarter earnings last week. And I would tell you that their performance is terrific. Not to say they don't have a lot of leverage, but they're an example of how companies have been able to weather the storm given the access to capital and the focus on on uh, optimizing their business portfolio. And what about the quality of new deals? So much of which continues to be Covenant Light. Do you see any red flags? Covenant Light has been around for a while. It's That doesn't bother us as much as the overall leverage. And I think that what you will find is that the companies that are going to get their house in order and pay attention to profit cash are going to be able to weather through this. And that's what everyone is hoping as they put uh, this incremental debt on. It's all on hope of a recovery, or they won't. And those, those that pay attention should, and those that don't pay attention won't. And it's just the reality of what we're li living with now. It may be accelerated if interest rates rise sooner uh, when you'll have that delineation, but that's really what you're looking at, who's performing and who isn't. We've seen cruise lines tap the capital markets. We've had a bankrupt company issue equity. Is the market getting ahead of itself and pricing an overly optimistic return to normalcy? Normalcy is an interesting word as you choose it. And I guess uh, we're living the Chinese proverb of living in interesting times. It's hard to say. I mean, there is so much chasing yield going on in the market now. And that's really what's what's happening they're, they're with interest rates as low as they are and the investors sitting on as much cash as they have uh, they're making the bet on the recovery and that their yield is going to be there uh we aren't living in normal times and so it's kind of difficult to predict what normal is anymore so for now this is the new normal and, you know, the balance sheet may be improving with the maturities being pushed out, but what about operational distress? Are we overlooking operational turmoil? And if so, for which industries? Is it energy, industrials, aviation? You know, it's interesting because I think what we're seeing is that in this environment uh, over the past years, over the past year, companies in all those sectors have been very focused on their operations. Some of it's been because of the government support. Can you keep your people to work? And if you're going to keep your people working, what do you have to do to take excess cost out? How do you focus on cash flow generation? Uh, so I think what we see is a real focus on operational improvement 
in the main. Um, and those are going to be the companies that we think are going to weather this storm. To the extent that um, you've got a protracted recovery or rising interest rates, companies may you know, begin to become more challenged from a liquidity standpoint. If you looked at things mid-year to third quarter last year, you would have said companies in the sectors that we've been describing, energy, industrials, and aviation, had about 12 months of liquidity. Many of them have performed better than people have expected. Uh, the stock market was clearly attractive um, and supportive over the last quarter of the year. And as you're listening to these companies report earnings for 2020 and their outlook for 2021, most now have liquidity for more than a year. So assuming that there's not a structural change in, in the economy or that there's something fundamental that changes in the way that we're thinking about the response from COVID and assuming that these companies continue to be disciplined from a capital standpoint, they now have much more runway and it's exactly because of their operational focus. You know, one thing that's interesting though about the energy industry, and I'm gonna tailor this to, to oil and gas at the moment, um, though power and utilities are very similar, perhaps fast followers, is that there's increasing focus on returns on capital and making sure that operations are you know, productive and are going to drive a return. And I would say in oil and gas, that's been more of a question than it has been in some of the industries. And that's one of the things that led to all the restructuring since the gas sector last year. And so what we're going to see is, I think, investors taking a sharper look at the companies and are they being good stewards of capital? And that, in fact, may become, um, you know, one of the, the tests that have to be demonstrated successfully in order for them to go back and continue to cap the cap, tap the capital markets, particularly with a greater ESG focus by investors across the spectrum. And how are valuations changing compared to prior years? Well, <laughs> valuations, um, if you look at prior years and try to take that logic and extend it to today, you're going to have a very, very difficult time. Uh, Leverage is obviously up. Uh, and when you look at free cash flow under any metric, when revenues in certain industries have been decimated, I mean, in some instances, almost going to zero, um, like take cruise industries, for example, it's very difficult um, for you to look at a historic measure and try to apply it to today. A lot of what is being done, as we indicated earlier, is people are putting in money on the expectation of a return you know, with the vaccine to a more normal environment. And as a result, they are looking at forwards much more than they ever would have historically. And that, that's very, very different. And in the interim, what people need to do, and I think the people that are being rewarded are those that are focused on increasing their cash flow or cash preservation and doing everything that is within their control to make sure that the cash is as good as possible. Those seem to be the, uh, the businesses that get the best rates and the, the most amount of capital in this new allocation scheme. What does a Biden administration mean for the coal industry? We've sort of touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but 
The interesting thing is the, the acceleration of the transition to renewables and away from fossil fuels is happening. And one of the realities in the power sector is that even without the Biden administration, the move away from coal fire power was accelerating. 2020 only amplified that. Utilities were seeing lower demand. There was more residential than industrial demand. That lower demand, of course, meant you didn't necessarily have to run as many assets in the absolute. Um, and there were also low gas prices. And what that meant was that renewables were dispatching first, gas was dispatching second, then you had you know nuclear and coal. And the reality was that all but the most efficient coal plants were sitting idle. That's not going to change coming out of the pandemic. So the whole focus of utilities, whether you're in a, a part of the country that still has a lot of coal or whether you're in a part of the country that's, that's further along in their transition, is how do you maximize renewables and natural gas and how do you minimize your CO2 emitting plants and or your large plants like nuclear, which may be just uneconomic as opposed to uh, polluting. The trend may accelerate somewhat in the new administration, uh, but the reality is that most coal plants and many nuclear plants are projected to be retired by 2025 anyway. And it's the, that time between now and then is largely going to be important to manage the transition more so than than it is to uh, leave the plants running just for the sake of running. So uh, I, renewables is clearly going to continue to increasingly become part of the energy mix. Natural gas is also going to be the beneficiary as the gas on, as the fuel source on the margin. And coal and nuclear plants are going to be retired as quickly as they can reasonably and economically be retired. The other thing that's interesting about this is that CO2 emissions were down in the U.S. last year, in part because of the energy mix change uh, and the lower demand as an absolute level. And, there, and CO2 emissions are continued to be, to be down or declining uh, and not reach 2019 levels until well into the 2030s as a result of the shift that we're seeing. What about shipping? What do you foresee for that industry? And why are restructurings so complicated in that space? Shipping has uh, always been a very, very cyclical business. Uh, if you look at the BDI going back just to December, um, it was over 1900. Uh, it's down uh, today to um, pushing, maybe breaking through 1300. I haven't looked today, but it was knocking on that door. So it's, it's down significantly. Uh, there was a pickup at the end of last year. Uh, as anyone that, uh, particularly on the West Coast knows, uh, there have been massive uh, delays of getting ships into port in the LA, San Francisco markets. Uh, with traffic coming from the Far East. Uh, that appears to have ameliorated. I, I think that as this economic recovery comes to bear, I would think the shipping for this year should probably be um, in a reasonably good spot, although the BDI would suggest that there may be some pressure on owners. Uh, and to the latter portion of your question, uh, why, the why, why the restructurings are difficult, it's really two things. Um, one is 
you know, maritime liens are arcane, uh, and they do not fall the way people think about the, uh, a normal restructuring. Certain things jump on top of first liens. You know, a ship mortgage, for example, is not the first lien necessarily in a uh, in a maritime bankruptcy. And and second, uh, got to remember that shipping is very very international. So it will not be uncommon to have a ship flagged um, in, uh, say, Mauritius, owned by someone in Europe that happens to have a bankruptcy in the United States. So with the ship located, maybe in the Far East. So it becomes a very, very international and global um, restructuring on assets that are movable. So that's not going to change. And do you expect consolidation in 2021 and in what sectors and why? I think what we expect is that companies are going to continue to prune their portfolio. So they're going to look at the assets that they can operate and operate well. They're going to make tough capital choices and prioritize where they want to invest. And that's going to drive some level of activity. When I think about consolidation as I'm going to sell my company because I can't operate it as well, because I think I can drive synergies, because you know, we're just in distress and we, we just need help and, and consolidation ends up being the way to solve that problem. I don't think those large scale consolidations are gonna be as prevalent in 2021. And the reason, there, there are a couple of reasons, but but one in particular is valuations are quite high. Going back to what Ray was saying earlier, when you look at actual performance or trailing performance and the valuation based on trailing performance, multiples are almost crazy high in some cases and in some industries. And when I think about the industries, right, we're talking about energy, we're talking about equipment, we're talking about aviation and industrial. And so in many cases, you've got valuations that are high on the promise of recovery. And it's hard to pay a big premium on top of that. And it's hard to get deals done if you don't you know, hit the sort of valuation metrics that boards and, and uh, investors expect to see. The other thing that's an impact here or a factor here is that capital markets are so receptive to financing. Now that's a double-edged sword. If you're the company that's challenged and perhaps looking at consolidation as a way to address problems, if you can get capital and you feel like you can solve your problem, you're going to be able to, you're, you're likely going to be able to take that route first. Um, on the other side of things, if companies need financing in order to be able to execute consolidations, that's also going to be available. So I think that financing um, can help the target or the consolidatee um, relative to the consolidator. Um, the other thing that's interesting here is that um, buyers may very well find that valuations um, are high and synergies may be somewhat more muted or limited given all the work that companies have been doing to take out costs up to now. And that may turn around and impact their ability to drive a return for their investors in the future. So on balance, I think there will be some consolidation that's going to be really strategic um, rather than opportunistic being led by low valuations or, or fundamental distress. Uh, and I think companies that are the target of consolidation will probably have 
more options than they might in other markets to the extent that they've been doing a, a pretty good job of managing their business um, up to now. Lise Van Ray, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you so much for this great conversation. And thank you for all for tuning in. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to DebtWired. Please be sure to engage with our content with a like, share, leave a comment or repost, and follow DebtWire on social media.